The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm superstar Frank Morano. Happy Halloween. And for a lot of people, Halloween can be scary. For others, the scariest part about today is all of the political campaigning you generally see. There are elections all over New York City, all over New Jersey. And right now, early voting is underway in the city's local elections. And I love early voting. I love to vote early. There are never any lines. You get out of the, get it out of the way. And so that's why I went to vote with my son on Sunday. And I was one of just about 25,000 New Yorkers to have cast a ballot over the weekend. That's according to data released from the Board of Elections. That translates to just 0.5% of all active registered voters across the five boroughs. Now, I went to my early voting site. There were a total, including my wife and me, a total of two voters, maybe there were three actually, one woman was coming in as we were leaving a total of three voters and a total, if you include the police officer that was there, of 30 or so people that were being paid by the taxpayer to keep that poll site open. And given the anemic turnout that we're seeing and given the fact that the increase to nine days of early voting resulted in no increase in voter turnout last year why in the world do we have nine days of early voting? This is a tremendous waste of money. And I want to be very clear, I'm not blaming the Board of Elections for this at all. My mom works there. One of my closest friends worked there. I have a lot of friends that work there. It's a, it's being run much better now than really at any point in New York City history. But the ridiculous idea that we need nine days of early voting for an election that no one's going to vote in makes no sense. And this is brought to you courtesy of the state legislature. How about you make it nine days of early voting for the presidential election, five days of early voting for the gubernatorial, three days of early voting for the mayoral, and for everything else, like what we have this year, just two days of early voting. There is no value in having people vote for nine days. It's going to lead to no increase in turnout as to the last time we had these off-year elections 20 years ago. It's a giant waste of money and completely unnecessary. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm superstar Frank Moreno. You remember when he took the bench, New York Court of Appeals Chief Judge Rowan Wilson was welcomed as a breath of fresh air by progressive lawmakers and activists. Remember, they stopped his predecessor, the previous nominee, who they felt was going to be too conservative. That perception may change after he joined with the court's conservatives to affirm law enforcement's ability to search DNA databases for the relatives of criminals in a ruling last Tuesday. The court 
voted four to three to allow law enforcement to do the searches with judges Michael Garcia, Madeline Singus, and Anthony Canataro concurring with Wilson. Those three judges are considered basically the conservative bloc. Two of the court's more liberal judges, Jenny Rivera and Caitlin Halligan, recused themselves from the case and were replaced under that new protocol that I brought to your attention yesterday by Stephen Lindley and Michael Lynch. Lindley wrote the dissenting opinion, which Lynch and Shirley Troutman joined. The case was brought by Terrence Stevens and Benjamin Joseph, two siblings with family members who've gone through the criminal justice system. They filed suit in 2018 after the State Division of Criminal Justice Service, its executive director, Michael Green, and the New York State Commission on Forensic Science. The brothers accused the commission of exceeding its power under state law by giving itself the right to crawl genealogy records to find links to suspects. I have to tell you, this is one of those areas where I completely agree with the plaintiffs and I completely agree with the so-called progressives or the civil liberties advocates that don't want the government crawling through these genealogy records without a warrant. These individuals meaning people related to folks convicted of crimes, are subjected to scrutiny by law enforcement for no other reason other than the possibility that their genes are similar to those of a an individual that's in the DNA data bank. And I'm sorry that uh, they didn't win this lawsuit, and I fear what this portends for the future of civil liberties, because to me, search and seizure without warrant includes prohibitions on searching your DNA. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. I wanted to give my thanks to the folks at City and State. I read City and State every day, and I have made their Staten Island Power 100 list. Again, I think I've made it every year that they've done this. I think it goes back about nine years or ten years. Or there, No, maybe it was about eight years. But I've been on the list each time. This year, I am number 65. I am not crazy about this photo that they used of me. It is, I think, from nine or ten years ago. There's no gray hair in the photo. I think I'm a little heavier in the photo. I don't even own that necktie that they have in the photo, but I'm grateful just to be included. I also thought the write-up that they had of me was a little weird. In the description of me, they actually took to what I routinely tweet about, which I thought was bizarre and completely irrelevant to anything that I have to do with uh, Staten Island politics or Staten Island society. But it's great to make the list with so many good friends. My friend Nicole Maliotakis, my friend Vinny Ignizio, uh, Judge Brendan Lantry, Menard leader Joe Borelli and many others. I think I know about, I looked through it, I think I know about 85 people that are on the list and it's a great list. And wherever they fall, these are all people that care about Staten Island and are certainly integral to Staten Island's future. And Staten Island is a special place in that it's really the only genuinely bipartisan borough and it's really a lot more like the rest of America than the rest of New York City is. So to be recognized as somebody that's something of a leader, whether it's a thought leader, a political leader, a media leader in a borough that has given so much to the world, which Staten Island has, is uh, really special. Anytime you get to be recognized by your hometown is great. And I've always called myself Staten Island's favorite son. And one time, City and State even wrote an article where they profiled me as Staten Island's favorite son as well. So I am humbled, honored, 
and hoping that they use a different picture next year. Congratulations to all of the other honorees. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. I wanted to take a moment to remember the life and legacy of a real baseball legend. The man known as Hondo, as well as a number of other nicknames, Frank Howard has passed away. I know Kenneth mentioned this in the 3 o'clock hour in one of his sports updates. He may mention this again in a minute. But uh, I don't really remember any of Frank Howard's playing career, just the stories that came of it, the monstrous home runs that he would hit, how he would uplift a team, the integral role he played in those Washington Senators teams of the 1960s. But I did get to know Frank Howard quite well. I mean, I never got to know him personally, but as a fan, I got to know him quite well as a coach. He was the manager of the Mets for a time, and then when Davey Johnson took over the team, he stayed on as a coach for the New York Metropolitans, and then he came back in the mid to late 1990s as the first base coach for the New York Mets. Also coached the Yankees at one point as well, but I remember going to Met games at Shea and watching, doesn't matter where you were sitting, you could have been in the upper deck or even the bleachers. Now, bleachers might have been tough, but certainly even the upper deck, and you would see at the first base side on the coaching circle, there would be a brown patch of glass outside the first base coach's box. And everything else was green. They would take meticulous care of the grass at all times. But what would happen is because Frank Howard would stand out there for nine innings as the first base coach, at least when the Mets were batting, he was so big, six foot seven, 250 pounds or more, depending on what stage of his life we're talking about, that he would plant his left foot right outside that batter's box, and he was so big that it would create a divot, a perpetual divot in that green grass. And I think it's important to pay tribute to Frank Howard, who everybody says was a great guy and quite a team player, but because he did something that far too few star players are doing today. I was watching the World Series last night, and they had commentary from Derek Jeter, Alex Rodriguez, John Smoltz, a lot of great ex-players. What I've noticed is that far too few star ex-players are going into coaching, and I think that's a tremendous loss for the player development of Major League and Minor League Baseball players today. I understand it from where the players are coming from. They can make a lot more money going into commentary, going into broadcasting than they can in coaching. I think if you saw more players do what Frank Howard did when he retired, you'd see a different breed of Major Leaguer than you do. I appreciate everything that he did for baseball and everything that he did for the Mets. Hondo will be missed. Condolences to his family and to his friends. Beam me up! To be continued. 